Me, and we are sitting in our new office uh, recording this podcast because on Sunday we have zero technological skills. Yes. Because we're a great robo and not a good cruise ship. And so when it came time to recording the sermon, we're like, we really don't know how to do this. Yeah. So. It was like five minutes before uh, the service started. Corey was like, we only have one microphone that can record. <laughs> and so. then I, I always ask, do you think this is what Saddleback is doing right now? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty <laughs> sure every before. church is having the same problem. This is, well, we have the same problems as most mega churches do. So today we're going to finish up our series in Proverbs. And it's been kind of a starter stop series for the both of us because we've had all kinds of crazy things going on in life. But I think what's fascinating thinking through the book of Proverbs is it's been really practical for me. I think anytime that we jump into a book, like I take it on in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I realize like, oh my gosh, like the Bible is still so good. Yeah, It makes a ton of sense. And we need this wisdom more than ever. You, you had started off uh, like seven weeks ago talking about technology and that we have too much information, too much data. Technology is moving at such a rapid rate. We're never going to be able to keep up. But the one reality is we're always going to be human in it and, and we're going to need wisdom all along the path. Yeah. I love that. I love that the wisdom in Proverbs is for every season in life, right? Like obviously the Bible doesn't specifically reference Instagram, but that's the world that we live in and we're trying to manage these things. But the the wisdom of Proverbs has a ton of reference about like time and what you put in your mind and how you kind of engage with things. So it's been a good series. So today, here's what we're going to do. We are going to have a conversation with one another. We're going to ask three questions along the way. The questions are, what's the best life for you? Where's my life going? And who is in my life? And as we get to each of those points, we're going to provide a little bit of space for you to reflect. Because if you're here on a Sunday, you'd be breaking up into groups anyways and having this conversation with someone else. So if you're with someone, have that conversation. If you're by yourself or you're in the car, take that time to kind of reflect where you're at because we think participation is crucial. But here's where we're going as we wrap up Proverbs. We're going to throw three ideas out there for you. We need to talk about interdependence and what it's like for a parent-child relationship. We need to talk about concentric circles and moving from rebellion to evolution. And eventually, we need to talk about agriculture. So when we put all those things together, I think we're going to have a pretty solid feel uh, as we wrap up Proverbs. When I think about the life of Jesus, I think what's really interesting is that every time Jesus was teaching his disciples, he wasn't putting them in a classroom and talking to them about theory. He wasn't telling them about this doctrine in some obscure way or that was ethereal or was some like cognitive ascent. Jesus was always saying, here's what I'm about and now let's go do it. So we don't just have the Sermon on the Mount. We have the Sermon on the Mount. And then the rest of the book of Matthew is Jesus bringing his disciples along saying, oh, you want to know what it's like to love your enemy? Well, we're actually going to go do that. So he takes his disciples into Samaria. He says, oh, these are the people that you hate the most in the world as Jews in 2000 years ago. Well, instead of just talking about that hate or how they're not your neighbor, uh, we're actually going to walk through Samaria every time that we go to Jerusalem. And that's what Jesus was always about. Jesus was moving us into actual practices, not just to some cognitive pursuit, which is a lot of what it feels like today. So 
Part of the reason I talk about that is that when we're in the book of Proverbs, that Jesus was a good Jewish rabbi. So he thought in a Jewish way, not in a Western way. He wasn't just collecting data and information for his own mind. He was thinking about things, asking questions on top of questions upon questions, and then putting these questions into practice with his disciples. And so Jesus and the practices that he does come from this rabbinic or Jewish way of thinking, which so much of that wisdom stems from the book of Proverbs, which is where we're at today. So I have three kids. Uh, My youngest, Bella, is two months old. And if I want to take Bella across the street, there's this reality for me that I have to hold Bella because she can't walk, she can't move, she can't do anything. Uh, And so I got to carry her across the street. Then I have a two-year-old, Bryce, and I have to hold his hand and prep Bryce to cross the street. Because if I don't prep Bryce and say, you're holding my hand, like you really can't let it go, you have to look left and right, he's the kind of kid who is going to freely run into a semi because he has zero fear in him right now. And then there's my oldest kid, Caden. Now, he's three and a half, and I call him Safety Steve, because not in a million years would he ever cross the street by himself. That's just not what he does. Uh, But the realization for all of my kids, whatever stage that they're at, is that I am going to practically teach them how to cross the street on their own. Because one day, I'm not going to be around. And one day, they have to cross the street on their own. That's a part of what it means to become an adult. And yet, somehow, when we do this spiritual life or this life of faith or in the world of church, we kind of tap out at a certain age where we still think that we're supposed to hold somebody's hand or no one has taught us that, no, 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 the goal all along was for you to cross the street by yourself. Maybe you're going to do it with other people, but it's not about your parent taking you across the street anymore. And that's what's fascinating about the book of Proverbs is that Proverbs has these phrases that come about all the time. It's about instructions from a parent to a child. And this is not just literal. This is figurative and metaphorical where the book is trying to say, you're going to have to grow up. But the only way that you really grow up is through interdependence. Now, we live in this society that says it's the best thing, the thing for your life that you should crave the most is independence. And then so we, ha- we have people who are just running aimlessly into the street saying, like, I'm free. I got to do whatever I want. Um, or we have this world of codependence where we're desperately in need of other people. But what the scriptures are saying is for this parent-child relationship to really work, which is just a metaphor for the rest of our lives, you are interdependently connected to other human beings. And you need the wisdom that they have in life to cross the street well. And that wisdom changes and evolves and flourishes over time. So at one point, yeah, They may actually be carrying you across the street because you might not know how to. But as you move forward in life, the goal is that one day they will have taught you how to properly cross the street and you'll realize, oh, that was actually the best thing for me. Yeah. And so um, I have no kids, but uh, listening to this and having this conversation with Corey, the first thing I thought about was, man, this is this has been so true from my experience with church. And I just want to call a spade a spade uh, today and say, I think that's been a huge dilemma, is that we have created some realities in churches where there is a need for codependence. 
right? This idea that you you need to keep coming back. You need to exist as a part of this. And so a lot of us in our spiritual lives haven't learned how to be interdependent because we have been uh, fostered in an atmosphere of codependence. And so um, one of two things will happen, right? Like Corey was saying, we will stay in that codependence or we will kind of say like, forget holding hands. I'm just going to run in the street and do my own thing. And so as we talk about this, this sort of idea, I can't help but relate it to, to the church experience, right? Because I think that's where a lot of people, at least that we interact with, um, that's where they are, right? They, they don't want the codependence. They want to be able to walk across the street on their hand and have had some church communities in their life tell them, no, I always have to hold your hand. You will always need my help walking across the street. And so I think when you look at actual parent-child relationships or you look at sort of a church relationship, I think it's true that there can be several areas of our lives where we are in different places. In some places of our life, we can be interdependent, but in others, codependent, or in some independent uh, and in others, interdependent. And so the question of what is the best life for you, um, I think is a question to relate back to um, potentially different areas of your life. Where are you finding interdependence? Where are you existing in codependence? And where do you feel the pull towards uh, just that independence? Forget holding hands. I'm running into this thing on my own. So if we can understand interdependence, then we have a little bit of understanding of the wisdom that Proverbs has about this ecosystem that we're living in. Proverbs is trying to say the best ecosystem for your life is one where you're connected to other people. And Proverbs is filled with this language about friendship uh, and this idea that you need good friends in your life and the friends in your life, uh, they're going to challenge you at times. They're, they're going to rebuke you is the language. There's this Proverbs 27.5 that says better is open rebuke than hidden love. There's this language that friends at times are, are the people that are going to be there for you who are closer for you even than family because family you don't get to choose, but friends you do. And so who are the people that you surround yourself with are incredibly important in this ecosystem of interdependence? Because the question we're trying to ask is, yeah, one day I get across the street on my own, but do I also have like good people around me who are going to help me cross the street? So one of the ways we're going to kind of break down that a little bit more is by talking about rebellion and evolution. So as we talk about um, interdependence, codependence, and independence, one of the things we're talking about in that is the difference between rebellion and evolution. It's, it's sort of how we deal with change, how we deal uh, with uh, the social impact around us. And we can choose rebellion or we can choose evolution. And so for some of us, if we grew up in um, a faith community, we grew up in the church, uh, you can kind of feel like there are two options, two camps. There is this or that. And they are two competing circles, if you will. Uh, and that's rebellion. But evolution says perhaps these are concentric circles. Maybe you started with a circle and it just continued to get bigger. And you can still see sort of that middle ground where you came from, but the thing is expanding and getting bigger. Uh, I'm going to give an example from, from a couple of years ago, an experience that I had. I, was a, I worked at a Christian college, and 
it was fairly conservative Christian college, and they had a lot of very strict as, a, as opposed to yeah, the very as opposed to all of the progressive Christian colleges <laughs> that are in the U.S. There. Yeah, tons no, of them. It was one of the conservative ones, yeah. and so they had a very strict policy on alcohol. As a staff member, um, we were technically allowed to drink alcohol, but if we were drinking in a place where like students might be, or if we ran into a student, they were literally like just throw your drink across the table. Like, pretend like you have never even heard of just alcohol in your whole life. It's like yeah. an SNL bit. You yeah. Just chuck it yeah, behind you just your head. What was that? Pick it up and Nothing? throw it across the yeah, restaurant. What were you doing? <laughs> so, no, I seriously remember one time I was having a glass of wine. My friends came down um, because I lived in Malibu. Which now you know where the school, what school it was, but. Um, Malibu. Nothing <laughs> that Christian anyone cares. College. Yeah. Pepperdine yeah. is. Pepperdine yeah. has a strict policy on alcohol. Yep. So, um, Dumbledore died. And I, Spoiler alert. Yeah. So I have this glass of wine and I see students coming in and I literally just shove it across the table to make it look like my friends are drinking like two drinks, you right. know, which how is that any better? Anyway, so. What did you do with the mural though in your house of Jesus turning water into wine? That's the. Uh, in the mural, he turned water into iced coffee. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So I, um, so I have this really, so I, I, my first year there, it's nine months of just really intense whatever you do do not drink alcohol and so we got two months off in the summer because we were rds and i remember telling my friend as we were getting close to summer i was like god i just want to drink like all i want to do is just drink (laughs) like i want to get so drunk and i'm i just i wanted to so bad and so i literally did that the semester ended and I went to Vegas nine times that summer, which is an insane <laughs> amount of times to go to Las Vegas like, and live, right, right. to tell the story. Um, and I was just, yeah. Pretty, but what do you like, do if you're in Vegas and your students see you there? I'm not, I'm not on the clock. I don't know. Um, that's actually a good question. I never right? thought about that. This is where we come s- up with the rules. We no. need rules for our rules <laughs> for our rules. Because, well, what if this happens? More specifically, what if they yeah. saw me at any point that summer? Because right. I was mildly intoxicated for most of it yeah uh and i got to a point where i was like this isn't even what i want to do like i don't want to be a person who goes to vegas nine times in a year i just felt so constrained for those nine months that i just went crazy on the one thing i was told i can't do uh and that's rebellion yeah and that's what we talked about a bunch is when you live with these two opposing circles and you say so that's what I grew up with over here. This is what mom and dad told me. This is what the church said that I grew up in. This is what I think that the Bible's about. Or even this is what I think that God's about. I don't want that circle anymore. So now this is the thing I'm going to live into, which is really just like a pendulum swinging. They're telling me that is the thing where I cannot drink. So this is the world I'm going to live into where I am in Vegas nine freaking times right. over the summer. But that's rebellion. And we do that all kinds of things, right? We do that ideologically. My parents are Republican, so now I'm definitely a Democrat. Or this is what's going on over here, so now this is how I'm going to live my life. And we're taught to think dualistically, but that's not the healthy thing of, of what we're trying to push here for, nor are those the questions that Proverbs is even asking. Right. There's a there's another way, right? The wisdom of Proverbs says uh, you don't have to pick this or that. What if there's sort of more mystery, more awe, more questions? What if there's evolution, Right. What if you can begin to ask a bigger question? Not, they told me I can't drink, so I'm just going to drink myself stupid. Well, what's the what's the bigger question there? And that fits even with the analogy that we're using before, 
which is when it's rebellion, then you say, screw anybody teaching me how to walk across the street. I'm just going to run into traffic right now. And this is really living until you get hit by a car. Because the reality is when you live in rebellion long enough, it's, is this life working for you? Because some of the litmus tests of rebellion or maybe an unhealthy life is that you're living in secret. And we know psychologically speaking that when you carry secrets around with you, it's like carrying 200 pounds on your back. Yeah. You, you can't hold those secrets forever. And so that's, that's a great litmus test. If this is a secret, then maybe I'm actually not evolving because I love that. I absolutely love when people are using like, this is my truth. And this is my independence. And it's like all this healthy language when it's like, but you're living this life completely in secret or you're escaping or avoiding the reality of what you came from before. So if you're escaping, if you're avoiding, if you're living in secret, maybe it's actually not health and evolution. Maybe actually that's rebellion. And we need to ask better questions for where, where we're at there. And that's not even a judgment on it, right? It's a reality that, yeah, Sometimes we have these crazy work environments that tell us you have to like chuck your wine across the table when someone comes and we all respond to prohibition, right? When we're told that we can't have something, we want to put our hand in the cookie jar, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean we have to stay there. Yeah. And I, I can remember so vividly one of the best questions or one of the best pushes towards evolution that's ever been given to me was by, um, our therapist, when Sammy and I were, we were about to come out uh, publicly. So we were at a place where our, our close friends and family knew, but we were about to go go public. And so we were we were in a session with our our therapist. Shout out to good therapists all over the world. Come on, um, who push us all towards evolution? Thanks, thanks, Couchy. We call her Couchy because we sit on her couch. So um, we're sitting there, and she told us. She said, "As soon as you make this." this declaration, as soon as you come out, the church is going to already tell you that you are outside of the realm of holiness. They're already going to say that just because of who you are, you exist outside of holiness. So now what you have to do is you two have to define what holiness is for you. What is it for your relationship? What is it for your lives? What is it for who the two of you are? And that pushed us straight from a potential rebellion to evolution, right? Because the truth was still the same of we carried this notion that had to be, that had to, that had to go away. We could no longer exist in that circle. We can't be gay and, and Christian, right? In, in the environment we were coming from. Um, and so instead of saying, well, forget it, I don't want any of it. She said, is there a holiness that exists that you can find that is going to elevate your lives and bring you to this awe and mystery and wonder that God is. Um, and that was the biggest gift I think she's she's ever given us. And that kind of narrative is a great example of the wisdom that Jesus had. How many times was Jesus confronted by the conservative religious group? Make whatever parallels you want there. I know that was 2,000 <laughs> years ago. Yeah, it's super different. Super different now where they're trying to pin him in a corner with some type of like throw the wine, like your disciples didn't throw the wine out the door when the college kids came around. And he's like, well, that's actually not the point of what's going on here, right? You don't heal on the Sabbath. He's like, so you're trying to tell me you'd rather preserve that rule than see somebody be able to use their hand again, right? You're trying to tell me you'd rather hold on to this like 
much older like view of holiness than say, oh, we're going to let two people love themselves. That doesn't seem like the wisdom of Jesus to me. And so we, we talk about evolution all the time at New Abbey, and we generally do it by telling the story about a cup. So picture that you have a cup on a table, and that cup represents all of your ideologies about God, about your faith, about spirituality, about who you are. And yet as you grow in life, you realize that you keep coming to the edges of this cup, that this cup is just not getting any bigger. And so what people often do is they just take the cup and they put it to the side and they say, well, I guess I can't have God, or I guess God is this other thing that's not good, that's bad, or or just is unimportant anymore because the rest of my life, to be honest, is saying like that my life is good and fine and okay and I'm moving forward. But someone over here is telling me that like, no, 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 no. If it doesn't fit into the cup, then it's not okay. And what we have found so often through the life of our community is that there was another way. Instead of just taking the cup and chucking it, we move the cup away and we realize there was a table there the entire time. The God story, my faith, my humanity is bigger now than it ever was. Yeah, I may have pushed the cup aside, but not to lose God, but to only realize that God was already bigger the whole time. And then as you start moving in that evolutionary kind of growth, you realize, oh my gosh, one day the table's going to move away and you're going to realize there was a room there the entire time. I thought God only fit on this table. And then the room's going to go away. And there was a building there. There was a city there. There was a state. There was like, there's like a galaxy there the whole time. So instead of this thing shrinking down and people are like, no, it's either you pick that cup or you pick this cup. We're saying, no, 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 no. This thing keeps getting bigger and more interesting and more open and more compelling. And in reality, it leads you towards deeper transformation and towards deeper health. So if we say that the litmus test for unhealth is, am I living in a secret? Yeah, that's rebellion. Am I trying to avoid people all of the time? Like I can't, I can't even confront them with my emotions or with my thoughts or with my words, or even my physical presence. Maybe that's rebellion. Uh, am I just trying to escape all of the time? That's probably rebellion. But health would say, oh, am I open to dialogue? Because I realize it's not, no one's putting a gun to my head here. It's, I hope not. If they are, we should talk about that. Mm-hmm. It's not just this cup or that cup. There's a dialogue about thousands of other cups that are going on. And the fact that they're all just sitting on a bigger table in the first place. Or how do we confront unhealthy cups? Or how do we have a deeper understanding of where we're at? And then the greatest gift that you have is when you realize that this thing is now a table, that you can look at the cup and say, I'm not there, but I at least can see it. Because evolution only works one way. Consciousness only opens up in one direction. You you cannot be in the cup and recognize the table. And that's why these conversations are so freaking frustrating on Thanksgiving. Well, right? and you can't see the table and then go back to the cup. That's right. Right? But evolution does say you can see the table and still see the cup and remember that. Right? And so I think, I think the beauty of it all is that, yeah, we do have this great example in Jesus of saying, I'm going to ask you a very specific question. Right. You know, is this right or is this wrong? And, you know, and he just keeps saying, let me let me ask you a different question. That or points let me you tell to you a, a story that blows truth. your mind. Right. Yeah. Right. Or let me just say something. Is there is this what we should be thinking about? Is there bigger questions? Are there bigger truths? And I think that's the beauty of the wisdom and Proverbs, but also the beauty of like being in a space. I think where a lot of us have found ourselves in 
recently who maybe like grew up in the church or or have these thoughts on this is yeah but what if it's what if it can get bigger right because i think like you said a lot of people think i don't want that smallest circle so does that mean i don't want god no it means you don't want that smallest circle and that's fine yeah and so the hope that we all want is transformation is maturity is health is interdependence and that happens through evolution and it doesn't happen through rebellion So the second question we want you to think about for a minute is where is my life going? Are there areas in my life where, to be honest, I'm just avoiding or I'm escaping or I'm trying to keep it secret? I'm living into somebody else's cup or to a cup that just honestly belongs in the 1930s? Mm -hmm. Um, Or am I secretly like chucking glasses of wine out the window, you know, when other people are coming around? That's all rebellion. I, I think the most fascinating thing for me that I think about with Jesus is that when Jesus talks about rebellion, it's not just sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Jesus, most of the time, talks about rebellion to the conservative religious people in his time saying, you're living in rebellion because you keep trying to limit God. But isn't that exactly opposite of how it's talked about with us now? Most of the time, people are trying to prevent us from evolution. But Jesus is saying, no, the greatest rebellion is when you think that God fits in a box. Like, hint, hint, no, God's bigger than the temple, right? Or even Jesus' life, hint, hint, I'm going to go away one day and the spirit is going to be in all people. And in fact, this kingdom is already within you. Like, it can't get bigger, more universal, or more inclusive than that. But that's the evolution that we're moving towards. So ask that question for yourself right now. Where is my life going? As we wrap up this conversation in Proverbs as a community, we're going to be thinking about this idea of who is in my life. That if we start with what's the best life for me, and that life is filled with interdependence, and then we're saying, okay, if I'm living a life of interdependence, then where is my life going? Hopefully it's evolving forward, getting bigger, more interesting, and away from the secrets of rebellion. Then now the wisdom of Proverbs is saying, well, then who is actually in your life? Because the beauty of all of this is we don't want you to walk across the street by yourself. Like you're a human being. Like you get to dance across the street with friends who are there for you. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. There's this reality that we need friends in our lives and that these friendships are are created at times in, in adversity. They're created at times when we're trying to move out of the rebellion, out of the small cups of life, into this bigger understanding of evolution. Oh, I just remembered something. Go for it. <laughs> okay, wait. As you were talking, I just remembered that Corey and I were talking about this, and I forgot to bring it up on Sunday. But the week that we're preparing for this summer or for this uh, sermon was the week that Jay-Z's new album just came out. If you haven't heard it, 444, still no idea what those four stand for. But um, it... Is literally Shout out to Jay-Z, who yeah. is sponsoring the new Abbey podcast now. Yeah, sponsored by Tidal, which you can only get if you have Sprint. So we're also sponsored by Sprint now. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, I don't have either of those, but speaking of good friends, shout out to Matt, who sent me this album. So anyways, if you just want more dialogue or more a bigger understanding of this whole conversation, Jay-Z's new album is literally a dissertation on the movement from rebellion to evolution. It's so uh, wonderful. And he literally talks about how 
the Jay-Z, we remember, that was like throwing $100 bills at strip clubs and came out with Big Pimpin'. He is now saying, I thought I was winning. There was a system that was oppressing me and I knew that. So I just rebelled and said, forget you. I'm going to throw my money to the wind. And now he's saying what I should have been doing the whole time is building up my community, buying property, leaving something sustainable. Like all these all these feuds in hip hop that are happening, what we need to be doing is supporting each other's businesses. All of these, like there is an oppressive system. And instead of saying, well, F it, let's run into the street, let's throw it all the wind. He's saying, how about we examine what's going on in our own community and get to the point of of sustainability and understanding where now we can compete with this system that's been oppressing us. It's literally magical. So if you want a different take on this conversation, you should listen to that album. Side note. Jay-Z. I think it's a great addition. And yeah, yeah, we totally, totally forgot to talk about that on Sunday. But you know what? When you listen to the podcast, this is the gold that you get here. So from Jay-Z to agricultural revolution, as one does... It, when the agricultural revolution happened, there's a ton of things taking place uh, in people's lives at that point. First of all, for all of history, you're talking about millions of years of human history, human beings put something in the ground like a seed and they have to water it and then they have to wait for that seed to become a vegetable, a piece of fruit, a tree, whatever it may be. And there's this process that's involved in whatever that thing is that you put in the ground becoming something that's actually going to be used by you as a human being to sustain you or to feed you, to give you health, to give you life, right? To evolve to a way that's actually important for you. Well, something happened in the 1800s is that we developed things like the tractor and electricity. And so all of a sudden, if 98 out of 100 people had to be farmers, as time has gone on, now less than one in 10,000 people need to be farmers to feed the entire world. But not only did we change the way that we were making food, we also changed the way that we view God and spirituality and our faith and our life and our health. And so what started to happen was as light fixtures could turn on immediately and as tractors could now do the work of hundreds of human beings, we started to see God in the same way. Well, clearly God is expediting the process of my journey as well. So for the first time ever in Christianity, we have big tent revivals. We have these moments where we're doing altar calls and where hundreds of people are coming forward and they're using language now that, oh, in this moment, God is going to forever change your life. But for anyone who's experienced that, did it work? When you raised your hand, when you stood up, when you signed the pledge card, and in that moment, all of your wrongs were going to go away, did that really happen? Mm -hmm. The answer is... (laughs) Besides Brittany, the answer is no. Because things were happening technologically, but they weren't true of our actual human lives. Our lives were still very much like the agrarian process. Things have to be planted, and it takes a while for that thing to flourish and to bear fruit. It's the same example that we were using before about parents teaching a child to cross the road. You start with something small. You start with holding hands. You start by saying, look left and right. And then one day, you're going to cross the road, bear the fruit, whatever image that you want to use here. That's evolution. In fact, it would be foolish, which is this giant idea in Proverbs to just send a two-year-old across the street without them being prepared for it. Just like it would be foolish to tell somebody, if you just raise your hand right here, now everything in your life will be changed. No, it's not true. 
Because you're a human being and things develop over time, but there's a lot of hard work that has to be put into it. Uh, There's a lot of effort that has to be put into your own process, into the fruit that you're you're bearing. And, And part of that hard work where Proverbs is leading us to is who are those people in your life who are participating with you in that evolution? Who are the people that you are cultivating fruit with, health with, sustainability with? Because you need those people in your life because there's going to be times when you did everything that you were supposed to do crossing the street and you still get hit by a car. And who's going to care for you now? Yeah. And and I think that in this whole conversation from independence, codependence, interdependence, rebellion, and evolution and sustainability, the one thing that impacts where your life is going in all of these areas is 100% the people who are there. Um, I can remember so clearly, uh, I laugh I laugh about it now, but my I have a friend, my best friend, her name is Yvette. Shout out to Yvette. Um, she was the first person I told so many years ago when I was like, so Sammy and I have like a thing, you know, that's all I had to say. She's like, okay, I got it. Um, and it took me personally, I held that secret for a very long time, way too long. Uh, and then I tried to hold it with her, with my friend Yvette, and she just would not have it. Every time I saw her, okay, well, what are you going to do? You're going to move one way or the other. Do you want this? Then you have to do something. You're going to leave your job. If you don't leave your job, then you can't have this. And if you're not going to do that, then you need to tell Sam you need to move on. And you know what I mean? Like to the point, and she's she's Cuban, so that's like literally how fast, you know, these questions are coming at me. And to the point of I just started avoiding her almost, I think at a certain point, because I was like, I'm not ready to, I don't know. I don't know what to do, right? She was calling me towards hard work towards a more sustainable life. She's telling me secret, the secret can't last. And so um, the, I think the, the lesson, the biggest lesson I learned there is I could carry a secret for actually longer than I thought. But the minute I shared it with with someone who truly knew me and loved me, she was like, oh, you will, we're not, we're not gonna carry this. You're not gonna just live like this, right? And that's the difference in, in the areas of my life where I can look back and I say, I've been pushed towards evolution or I've been pushed towards interdependence. Um, it wasn't necessarily a self-revelation, right? These were people in my life who were saying. It didn't happen in a yeah. moment either. Yeah. That's what we're trying to say. This wasn't an overnight process. No. And there was even part of your life that was rebellion for a time. Yeah. Right. And isn't that so counter to how we tell the story sometimes? It's like, oh, have you ever had any rebellion and it's all over? It's yeah. like, no, no, no. Sometimes those wounds, that brokenness, that deconstruction is a part of the new thing that we're building here, right? Even in the agrarian metaphor, without all of those other plants dying and decomposing, you'll never get new life. Yeah. And so we're going to end with a story about some guys in a bar in Monrovia. But I want to read one proverb before we do that. And it's from Proverbs 18.24. And it says this, A person of many friends may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother or a sister. And if we're really asking ourselves good questions, if we're really living into the Proverbs wisdom, and we're we're asking ourselves, what's the best life for me? Then I have a few good friends who I'm interdependent with, and we are crossing some streets together. 
if I'm really asking the right questions for my life of where is my life going, then I am not evolving alone. And there are some friends who are closer than brothers and sisters who we are moving the cups together. And together we're saying, there has been a table here the entire time. And if we're really asking some good questions, then we recognize there are people in my life right now who are shaping me towards sustainability. And that's the hope of and the deep wisdom that's behind the scriptures and behind the wisdom that, that Jesus knew and why Jesus didn't have one disciple. He had this group of people who were traveling together saying, this faith, life, more importantly, human journey that we're on is meant to be done together. Yeah. So a couple months ago, uh, I was telling Corey this story a couple, uh, just a little bit ago. A couple months ago, Sammy and I were, uh, were at a bar in Monrovia. Um, and we were getting a drink for some reason, not that you need a reason to. And One that you didn't have to throw away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and this group of guys was, was next to us at the bar and it was one of the, one of the worst experiences we've had in a while because we get there and in the first conversation we, we can hear them having, they're, they're talking loud and they're also right next to us and they're talking about women in a way that I don't even want to recreate for you all. Um, they're talking about women, the, the way they look, their age, what uh, just in the most awful way you can imagine that they're talking about women. And then they move to talking about money, right? And they're talking about money uh, in just a way that was making my stomach turn. I mean, and we're just sitting there like, what do we say? It's these like five guys and us. Do we want to cause a scene? We're going back and forth. And then they move on to talking about guns, which now I'm like, have did they read my journal and just find the three things I hate and they're just – intentionally trying to have this conversation around me. Is this a test? And so we're at the point where I'm just like, hey, we got to say something. And Sammy, you know, it take, if you know Sammy, if you've ever met my wife, she doesn't, she's not an angry person by any stretch of the imagination. And she was, she was getting so frustrated. And she was like, I'm going to say something, which means it was really bad. And then one of the guys in the group, there's a pause in the conversation. And one of the guys says, yeah, you know, sometimes uh, life is just really hard. Like, I don't really want to be here anymore. And then they paused. And one of them said, yeah, life, man. Let's get another round. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Right? One of the, one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever witnessed is, is in a moment – this guy said, I, I've got to reach out. There's just something going on. I don't want to be here anymore. And reaches out to, I mean, to use your example, he was just throwing seeds on concrete, right? There's just nothing there to sort of receive his, his need or his, his, his growth or, or desire for evolution or any of that. And I, I can never shake that story in understanding the importance of of community, of people. We need each other and we need to do the hard work. There's there's just never any substitute for hard work. And to be that kind of friend for someone else, yes, we need those kinds of friends, but to be those kinds of friends for someone else takes the work of you understanding 
am I creating soil? Am I concrete? What 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 am I opening up to to this? If if this is interdependence, then then I've got to get my life together because when someone throws something out there like that guy did, I just you know I want to be able to to receive it in some way. And so, New Abbey, would we be a community that's interdependent upon one another? Would we continue to evolve? Would we continue to see a God who's bigger and more compelling and more interesting? And will we get the joy of doing that together? Grace and peace.